0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. The phone is that, That's the second time
1: it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those guys.
0: That's
2: Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But well, you don't know what you're talking about.
1: What did you want know like like to stay alive for right,
3: okay, I'd say it to your face, not say it well, to
1: i will see
0: them you. What you're doing down here, you're me man. <laughs> Just imagine scoring your 500th goal in professional football in the last second of a massive game at the home of your biggest rivals to win the match. After your opponents had spent the day elbowing you in the face and smashing your ankles, it would be nice to be Leo Messi just for a second, wouldn't it? Hi, if I can. Well, that second
4: you. would be good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and
0: thanks for taking the time, everybody, for uh, taking the time, I should say, to join us for Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. It certainly looked like Messi enjoyed being Messi. As yeah. he hoisted his jersey in the air, and it's not always that clear that that's the case, but certainly he fully appreciated the joy of being Leo Messi as he paraded his number ten jersey around the Bernabeu.
1: Yeah, he he was kind of a, he went a bit Conor McGregor. <laughs> it was kind of a wordless Conor McGregor style display of uh, alpha male dominance that Messi gave, mm. uh, right down to the comical. Uh, way in which he accepted the yellow card from the referee. <laughs> just sort of looked at the re- referee, came over and said, Look, I've, I've got to do this. I mean, we, you know, showed him the yellow card and Messi just kind of continued his uh, his little uh, fist uh, pumping.
0: The excitement. Did you did you think they're going to score? Because as soon as Sergio, when Sergio Roberto, Roberto got away, you could guy. see, Well, this is five on three now. Five on three, yeah, it was, it, was, it was five on three. And you would expect Barcelona to score in that situation, even under intense pressure. But you know Messi is the guy that they're going to look to to do it one way or the other. Yeah. Whether Roberto just gives it straight to him or whatever happens. There was such composure by all the players involved to the yeah. point that they got it to Messi. And as soon as it's rolling back and, oh, hang on, this is Messi. That's Messi, yeah, good. this is going
1: to be a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so
0: you did see, you, you thought they'd do it?
1: well not until that not until Sergio Bertos and he got away from everybody you know he, he I, I can't remember who the first player he beat was maybe Modric he beat then he went past Marcelo
0: Modric always a, for a good soft shoulder to take on there <laughs> it's, it's like in rugby when you know the big lads look for maybe a small scrum half to take on you might want to
1: throw yeah um, but it, it was incredible that Real Madrid let themselves be put in that position you know, this is uh, everything had been had, had kind of gone their way. Well, I mean, they, they had the red card obviously to deal with, but they'd got the equalizer. And then this ridiculous two minutes of I've never seen a, a match of that size have two minutes of injury time <laughs> called by the, by the officials. And really, they should have just been all back in their own half. And instead, they're trying to win the game crazily, just getting completely carried away, like a total rush of blood to the head. Let's, oh, yeah, you know, we are Real Madrid. You're idiots. You know, just just the van for two minutes, and that's the that's the league, and uh, they they really 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 screwed it up.
0: There's already been a lot of messy talk in the last twenty four hours, and there will be plenty more. But I know that you guys, for you, there's only one man whose opinion really counts. So take it away, be in Sports USA.
1: Roberto to Piqué, Busquets to Roberto.
2: Did they gamble too much? The Champions League hero against PSG, leading the break. Gomes looking for the overlap. Alba inside. It's Messi. Oh, no! Again, the medicine man arrives and sinks his flaming spear into the hearts of Real Madrid. All the pieces falling into place. Messi born in the cross by a hurricane, and he is jumping Jack Flash. Right here!
0: Do you agree, Ken, with Ray Hudson that Leo Messi was indeed born in a crossfire hurricane? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not a, you're not a Hudson fan, as such.
4: Come on, Ken. Sometimes there, there's a time and place for Ray Hudson. I mean, a, once every three
1: years, maybe. The time and place is not, you know, vandalising the great moments of football history.
4: <laughs> his flaming spear. He, he, he is a flaming spear. He wasn't talking about his flaming spear.
1: I I mean... It's just I, I, when I saw that, I actually saw it last night and I thought, I really miss Barry Davis, you know. Fine, go,
4: fine, <laughs> go.
1: Just just his little uh, Barry Davis would say something understated and, and classic, he would be able to find the words for a moment like that. Those were not the words, <laughs> you know. That was it, was just ridiculous. You know, it's like when when the, the match has produced a, an incredible moment like that, you don't need the commentator to just start blurting out this word salad, flaming spears. Like, what is he on about? You know, what what is that? uh, What's he even trying to do there? I'm not a fan of One notable absentee at
0: the Bow yesterday was Neymar. The official line is that he's serving a three-match ban. In reality... He could still be recovering from his over-the-top emotional reaction to getting knocked out of the Champions League last week. Is Neymar paid to cry? Was a question Ken posed on Thursday's World Service podcast. That was a fun one. You were on fire late last week, and you really—I felt you really developed as the week progressed. Amazing contribution <laughs> on Friday's show. Well done,
4: well done, Ken. Uh, Friday's Thanks show. What
0: was? Oh, that was the identity of the. Dortmund attack suspect that was revealed. So really a great one there. All of that's available for you on the Second Captain's World Service, where you can also get the background on Macron versus Le Pen in the French elections. We did a, well, I should say Ken did a politics podcast on that one recently as well. secondcaptains.com for all the details on how to join up for just €5 Euro a month plus VAT. Now, Ken, please report on some sport.
1: Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we'll talk again about the Madrid-Barcelona uh, game. I mean, Zidane said afterwards, I'm not saying we lost our heads, but... With the scores level, ten man, we push very high up. That is dangerous. We've paid for it. I'm not going to blame my players. We always try and win the game. We just didn't manage it today. You know, isn't he supposed to be the one who decides whether they push up or not? I mean, maybe they ju- maybe they are just ignoring him. If so, it's not a good sign. You know, he, uh, Zidane has done incredibly well as the manager of Real Madrid. When you look at the record, you know, he's won the Champions League. Uh, he's lost very few games He set a record unbeaten run however he's now lost consecutive matches to Barcelona and Bayern Munich they ended up winning the Bayern Munich match of course but they did lose 2-1 in injury time I think they've let in nine goals in their last five matches it's a kind of bad moment of the season to start letting in a lot of goals and then they've got a semi-final against Atletico Madrid which I can't imagine they're feeling super confident about you know the way things are going Um it always seems a bit harsh. But, you know, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that moment last night sums up the problem of the coach of Real Madrid. You know, his job is basically to be there for a year and then to be sacked. Uh, and the players aren't going to listen to you anyway. And you've got players like Sergio Ramos, who are heroes, heroes of the club, heroes, national heroes. I was
0: wondering how long it would take to mention Sergio.
1: Okay, just a completely uh, unmanageable player, you know, which is, if he's playing well, then okay, fair enough. But he's not going to listen to you. You know he's not, he's not going to be responsible. Twenty two red cards. <laughs> you know,
0: like the. I mean, ah, sixty nine goals or whatever it is, Ken.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, three three, I just, three to one ratio is not bad. I just think it's really, I think it's really embarrassing, and it's kind of an indictment of the whole culture of the club that they haven't been able to to discipline him, to rein him in. And this is a problem Real Madrid have, I think, isn't it? The players getting bigger than the club. Real Madrid is supposed to be a big club, but actually, it's not. Real Madrid is, is like, um, you know, has to kind of cow to these uh, to these um, superstars.
0: Real Madrid not a big club. That's well, a good d- start to the week. <laughs> well, they
1: don't act. They don't act like it. You know, uh, I mean, R- Ronaldo. Ronaldo's bigger than Real Madrid. Um,
4: well, the, the argument certainly would h- holds up if you're saying the club. Can the club control these players? Do the players feel cowed in any way by their manager or their club? And Ronaldo and Ramos certainly
0: don't.
1: No. Sure, but
0: Messi and whoever else, and yes, they probably don't either, by Barcelona. um, They might have by Pep, to an extent.
1: Well, I don't know. How many red red cards has Messi got? Is it, is it anything like 22? Is he into double figures? for I don't think he is. I'd be surprised. I can't remember him getting sent off that often at all. It's, it's almost as though he isn't a completely irresponsible idiot.
0: Well, PK would be the fairest uh, comparison there, I suppose. Has he were, got or 22 Mascherano, Redcats? Or Maybe maybe. No.
1: I can't remember PK getting sent off too many times either. So For some reason, he's able to do most of the same types of jobs that Sergio Ramos does. He's able to fulfill a, a very similar kind of role for his team without getting sent off all the time. Um, now it's okay. It's one thing for Ronaldo to be bigger than Real Madrid. He's uh, the greatest goal scorer in the history of Real Madrid. If it wasn't for him, they're really a very ordinary team. You know, look at it, you know, look at what he just did to Bayern Munich. Okay, he was offside a couple of times and handled the ball, and maybe he got lucky, but he did score five goals. You know, he scored was it nine goals against Bayern Munich in the Champions League, I mean, which is I think more. It's the most any player has scored against a given opponent. In, I, I think Messi against Arsenal is is up there. So, I mean, Messi scored a lot of goals against Arsenal. You know, like tons of goals, four, a four and a three. You know, but um, but, but Ronaldo against Bayern, his scoring record is unbelievable. I mean, we we were talking last week about how okay, he doesn't, he's not doing a whole lot in the game. You know, every se- over the season, he's the player who runs the least. You know, he shoots the most. He doesn't really pass anymore. He doesn't really dribble anymore. But he does score and. You know, it's in a, with an almost kind of supernatural facility. I mean, last week, you know, they were, they were whistling him in this game against Bayern Munich and he scores a hat-trick. You know, that's a player who, I mean, he said afterwards, look, you know, I, I, I really would like if the fans just supported me. But the reason that they're doing that is because they know that he's bigger than them and they resent it.
0: So, hang on, your argument is that it's acceptable for Ronaldo to be bigger than the club, but also that Sergio Ramos feels he's bigger. Yes. And that's not quite so acceptable.
1: No. Sergio Ramos is just a, an aggressive defender. They're, you know, he's—I I suppose he is a particularly good one. I mean, he's—you he, he's, know—he and he, he has got this great uh, extra added feature of scoring clutch goals. You know, that's a—that's always a good thing for a player to have. And remind a central defender, but uh, I just think his, uh, it just is overwhelmed by his irrational idiocy. And the thing is that he doesn't learn. You know, he's almost—he seems to be obstinately proud of his own stupidity. You know, like it's. So I mean, he did, what he did last night maybe cost him the league. Yeah, we're we'll talking about could end could end up costing them the league, and he, and you saw his reaction to the to the red card as well. It's, it's a clear red card. He lunges in two footed, try. It's a deliberate attempt to take Messi out. Luckily for Messi, he doesn't take the full uh, impact. He he manages to evade most of the, most of the force. But this it's a clear red card. You know, you know that you've just you know what you've done. You've tried to uh, bring Messi down. You've. Uh, made a mess of it, got yourself sent off, exposed your team now, really dangerous situation. And what do you do? You blame everyone else. You blame PK. You blame the referee. And, and he was doing this, you know, applauding and, and shouting and all this sort of, sort of sarcastic taunting. And this is exactly what Messi has been banned for, uh, uh, you know, in the international scene. And Neymar missed the game last night for applauding, sarcastically official's decision. And yet, with Ramos, apparently nothing is going to happen because the referee didn't note that this didn't note the aftermath of the of the red card, which means apparently that that the uh, the league won't take action, even though they clearly should. Obviously, if they're going to ban Neymar, he should also be banned.
0: I do want to hear from Dermot later on as to whether or not Ramos ever gets any stick for this within Madrid, either from supporters or from anyone at the club. There's the great cliche. If you take that out of Sergio Ramos and so on, but you could take at least I'd say eleven of those red cards out of Sergio Ramos and still have a pretty aggressive defender yeah. who scores you a good few goals. Yeah, I mean it's
1: it's it's just a nonsense, thing. you know. And and it wasn't, but it was also there was, there was a real aggressive edge to what Real Madrid were doing. I mean, they were clearly trying to injure Messi. I I can't
0: believe Marcelo got off so lightly. Yeah. Certainly on TV, the pundits were Balague- Guillaume Balague- and who didn't think it was a red card i didn't think it was deliberate at the elbow on uh, Leo Messi, and he sort of turned to Henri and he said, "Do you agree and Henri didn't really say anything, mm. possibly not wanting to cause too much of a storm uh and At that stage, the presenter moved things on anyway. I thought you can never tell one hundred percent whether somebody had intent or not, but there's no reason for his arm to be up there. It wasn't one of those incidents where two players are standing beside each other they're both jumping up, one of them needs leverage. Mm. This is one where Marcelo lifted his elbow,
1: planted his elbow into the face into of the face. rushing Leo Messi Leo for Messi. no obvious gain. Who, who looked as though he'd had his teeth knocked out. Obviously, a bad cut to the inside of his mouth. Um, got up, didn't matter scored. Just to it. it's, it's interesting watching him. You know how how he ran onto that ball. I mean, how bad do you feel if you're Carvajal? Carvajal was the guy who was standing in front of him. And it's just to to be a you know to be a professional. Like playing for Real Madrid, you, you know, you think of yourself as I'm pretty good. Like I'm one of the best players in the world. You know, I'm a Real Madrid player. I'm I'm pretty top. Mm-hmm. And then just to be humiliated like that, the way that Messi went past him was just like, oh my god. You know, this, you don't you don't often see this type of a player beaten so comprehensively. You know, just with one like touch. Uh, yeah, it was a, I mean, it was amazing. I, I, I actually think the first goal was even more amazing than the second goal. The second goal, obviously, because messy second goal, that is, because of the um, timing, because it's the last kick, you know, because of everything that's happened in the game, was an, an unbelievable moment. But technically speaking, the first goal was, I was amazed he pulled it off. You know, um, that it's goals like that that, you know, he saw Ronaldo at the end. Ronaldo had missed an open goal at one point and, and just had had a poor game. And Ronaldo could easily win the Ballon d'Or But I think we all saw the the reality You know, I mean These awards seem to be assigned To the most famous player of the team That wins the Champions League Or, you know, World Cup or whatever uh, And if he wins that this year again He probably will win the Ballon d'Or And it will be a joke Just like the previous time
0: Speaking of awards and Golo Kante PFA Player of the Year in England
1: Yes um, Zlatan third. Zlatan Hazard second, and Kante uh, wins PFA Player of the Year. Um, He probably should have won it last year. Um, He's the first kind of non-goal-scoring player to win it since John Terry, who himself was a bit of a goal-scorer back in those days, and the Sergio Ramos fame. He, uh, yeah, I I think it's a... It's a good decision, I mean, recognising the importance of this guy's contribution. I don't, don't think Chelsea would be winning the league if they didn't have him. I don't think Leicester, Leicester clearly wouldn't have won the league if they hadn't had him. Um, he seems to be the decisive player in the league. And uh, Deli Ali wins Young Player of the Year for the second year in a row. The only other players who have done that are Rooney, uh, Robbie Fowler and Ryan Giggs. Um, it's also five out of six wins the last six years for Tottenham in Young Player of the Year. Which no club has managed to do. No club has dominated the Young Player of the Year award like Tottenham have done. But can you name the Tottenham players who have won Young Player of the Year in that oh, time? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. Dele Alli's won two of them.
4: Harry Kane's won.
1: Harry Kane? One of them? Yeah. Harry Kane. Just won? Yeah.
0: Okay. So we're going back one. further than that. What
1: years are we looking at then? Uh, 2013 and 2012. 2012 and 2013.
0: Tottenham Hotspur, young player. Danny
1: Rose? No.
3: <laughs> I, I a just had so much success a with saying
4: the words Danny Rose last week when guessing the PFA team of the year. Yeah. Lamella? There's a lot of annoyed listeners right now, isn't there? <laughs> um, a lot of Spurs fans roaring at their phones. Go
0: on, Ken. Just put us out of our 2013.
1: Come on. Who won it in 2013?
0: Well, Presumably they're attacking players.
1: He was playing in that um, game last night Real Madrid against Barcelona.
0: Gareth Bale?
1: Uh, yes, Gareth Bale won it in 2013.
4: Got, uh, got 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 there with a well, a small hit.
1: That's two years after he after he first won the Senior Player of the Year award, Gareth Bale. So that's the Young Player of the Year award for you. Um, often the players aren't that young. Uh, uh, the previous winner is the last Tottenham player to have uh, that's 2012. Which Tottenham player won Young Player of the Year in 2012?
4: <laughs> Come on, Gabe. He still plays
1: for Tottenham. Come on, I can't believe uh, that you Christian Eriksen. I don't think Christian Eriksen was playing for Tottenham in 2012. Yeah, he definitely wasn't. Eric Dyer. No, neither was Eric Dyer. See, this is the thing about the Young Player of the Year award. Winning it doesn't necessarily you mean... mean you are that young? Or, or you're that good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you often go on to have not as amazing a career as... Uh... But he's still at Tottenham. Oh, he's still at Tottenham, all right. Mm-hmm. I bet you, you didn't even know he won Young Player of the Year. Well, obviously he did not. Go on. It was Kyle Walker. Ah, oh, wrong, wrong fullback, Miff.
4: Wrong fullback. Kyle I mean, I thought Danny Rose was a pretty terrible guess, but as it turns out, it wasn't that bad of a guess at all. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Walker is the actual
1: answer. Yeah, um, yeah. So he was, he was even pretty. So that's um, so Delhi Ali. Maybe he'll he'll go on to even even greater things. Um, I mean, Tottenham it was a pretty disappointing weekend for them, all told, despite Delhi Ali's award. Um,
0: I see you were maintaining in your Irish Times column this weekend that Spurs are. Still, a better team.
1: I think they showed it, didn't they?
0: By losing four 2 so you fell on the Jermaine Genus side of the genus Shearer. Jermaine
1: Genus was so angry, he was, was so gutted by what had just happened, and he was he he looked like he was about to cry, and he was, he he, you could see he was genuinely angry. He couldn't control his, how emotional he was getting.
0: He had the temerity to have a to stand up to Alan Shearer. But like
1: Alan Shearer was just making such a such a stupid point. Like he was basically saying. Well, they won, Chelsea so scored the goals been, yeah. they won so they're better <laughs> and you're like that's not it no reminds, oh. reminds
0: me quite a lot of the Alan Shearer Roy Keane incident all those years ago again <laughs> yeah. Jermaine Genus was verbally slapping wildly at Alan Shearer as Shearer slowly backed away silently <laughs> Jermaine winning, Genis, the, winning the battle
1: did Jermaine Genus score in that game I'm pretty sure he played in that game the Shearer Keane ah. uh, he was with Newcastle at that stage but <laughs> I mean it was it was it was incredible I mean I thought Chelsea were a little bit lucky although Pochettino was saying no they were clinical that's the difference but they scored you know a free kick a slightly deflected free kick a penalty i mean Watson was doing oh son no i mean this was have you ever seen a player just as as happily accept a penalty offered by the opposition <laughs> as as Victor Moses and then uh then they got this goal from a corner, and then they got Maditch's ludicrous bullet uh, strike. You know, everyone, oh, Maditch it's the best shot he's ever hit in his life. Matic, former w- winner of the Puskas Award for uh, a similar, you know, a, a similar but better forty-yard laser. It seemed like he was the only man in the stadium who could remember this.
0: Well, that was only that was from the edge of the box, the volley for Benfica. Yeah, I was watching it again this morning after he mentioned it in the post-match interview. It wasn't that it was that far out. Yeah. It was just that the build-up to it was incredible. There were two headers. A ball was floated in harmlessly enough. One Benfica player headed it to another player, who then headed it up to set it up for a volley from a tricky height, mm. from just around the edge of the box by Matic, who slammed it in brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. But see those goals. Those goals can't. I know you said it's a ludicrous strike, but it's still a brilliant goal by a very good player mm. for Chelsea. So that is of a piece with them being a good team and probably better than Tottenham.
1: Yeah, but again, it's it's kind of like... I mean, well, the, when I say that Tottenham were a better team, what I mean is that I, they, they dominated the game. I thought they were better all over the field. I mean, I think think they were in control. They they were winning all the kind of battles all over the field. Uh, they they had penned Chelsea back. I mean, the one man who was who was keeping Chelsea alive... He reminded me, Owen, of Kukulin, strapped to his rock. Uh, just standing, you know, barely able to stand, but stra- strapped up, weak with blood loss, but still erect and fighting to keep Tottenham at bay. It was Owen, the man of the match, David Louise. Yeah, Tommy
0: McGregor. <laughs> I was waiting for this one. Tommy emailed into us to editor at secondcaptains.com to say, like most, I had my doubts when Ken backed David Louise at the start of the season, but maybe this would be a good time. For Kent to gloat. He was unbelievable on Saturday. So, yeah, Tommy got that one in. Just um, just getting it to you, just as he started to
1: Yeah, uh, well, he was. He was great, but, you know, he he was keeping his team alive in the game. And, you know, Tottenham were just all of them. The two goals Tottenham scored are two of the best goals I've ever seen in, the, in a cup semi-final. I've never seen a goal like the one Harry Kane scored. I, I can't remember a header like that. A stooping back header of a ball... Two feet off the ground, into the far corner. I mean, you don't see too many of those.
4: No, I, I, I'm thinking of uh, Chicorito's goal off the back of his neck. I mean, he wasn't stooping, but I mean, it yeah. was it was a goal where the player was facing the complete opposite direction, and he still manages to score with his head. Headed
1: back, yeah. yeah. The Ali goal, though, I had seen many goals like that by Dele Alley against Chelsea this season. Uh, it was, in fact, the third goal like that where Christian Eriksen plays a diagonal ball. To that sort of part of the field. Now, the previous times, Ali had headed it in. This time, he smacked it into the top corner. Um, but it was brilliant. And you just thought, OK. The, I mean, what, what was really impressive about Tottenham, I thought, was the way particularly Dembele and Wanyamar were, were running the game in midfield. I mean, they're up against Kante and Matic. These are, you know, the midfield of the team that's probably going to win the league. Kante is the player of the year. And it's the first time I've seen him really dominated like that. And then, you know, Matic just gets a goal. Like, it's a goal out of the blue, is what I'm saying. It's obviously a great goal, but it is. It's kind of like a pot shot. You know, it's not like they haven't, you know, cut, Chelsea, cut Tottenham open here. It's just a, an inspired, like, uh, strike out of nothing. You know, yeah, it's like a random hear, event. It's
0: funny hear a team like Chelsea get those goals at important times and teams like Tottenham don't.
1: Yeah. Well, that's... Pff, I mean, yeah... I mean are you saying Chelsea always do it Not that they always do it But
0: if I was They did it In advance of A match like that Or any big game I would probably be backing Chelsea as a team To pull something like that out Not necessarily something spectacular But you know Something a little bit different When they need it
1: Yeah Well it's I mean you can't You can't argue with it As Pochettino said Clinical You know Pochettino Didn't try to say they were lucky Although they were A little bit Um he said, no, they're clinical. We have to be like that. Um, I mean, I thought Spurs were reasonably clinical. I thought they played brilliantly. It must be so sickening to lose a game like that. And uh, they're going to... Well, you know, they could still win the title. You know, I don't think it's necessarily over yet. Chelsea still have six games to go. But, so where are we? Uh, the, the other thing was Arsenal. Arsenal um, beating Man City, coming from behind to beat Man City, um, which I didn't expect. You know, when... when Sergio Aguero scored his Shane Long goal <laughs> and he uh, and, and at that point he thought well that's I know that, that's the end of that and um, yeah really d- Arsenal apparently had the slogan be together etched on the dressing room floor and uh, it seems that the slogan worked <laughs> uh, so people are saying um, so I guess Arsene Wenger gets to sign a new contract yeah. what do you think of that?
0: Well, that was going to happen anyway, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he would have
0: told he would have told everyone now if he was going to leave. It's just now he gets to sign a new contract after potentially a glorious FA Cup triumph, so people won't be as angry about it.
1: Well, they do have to play Chelsea in the final, which they won't enjoy, I think. But Guardiola, it's the first time that he finishes the season without winning a title, uh, which people were reminding him of in the press conference, which to his irritation. Um. But look, that's the way it is, and now they have to play Manchester United on Thursday, and suddenly this is a really big game. Um, Manchester United managed to beat Burnley. Uh, you know, I had a few, I had a few comments. I mean, in in the style, in the vein of the David Luiz email, there's a few people getting in touch with me to to ask, you know, what I thought about the, you know, Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. I think these are, the, these are the sorts of people who would say, who would tell you that it was, it's been amazing management by Jose Mourinho to pick just the right time to introduce Anthony Martial uh, to the team, to really unleash him at just the right moment where he scores a goal and sets up uh, a second for Wayne Rooney and wins the game for, for Burnley. Astute use of the... He's got Martial United,
4: hungry yeah. as a wolf, Ken. Yeah. He's played him like a, like a cheap piano. <laughs> now he has Martial just firing on all cylinders. Yeah. It's been masterful.
1: Um, it has been uh, another tour de force of, of management. Or could it just be that Jose Mourinho has got so many good players in that squad that, you know, injuries. He's got Zlatan Ibrahimovic injured and maybe out of football. Uh, Marcus Rocco injured. You saw the shirts and so on. They, was, they were oh. uh, paying tribute to their fallen. um and comrades, um, but when how's, how's,
4: how uh, far away are we from uh, the laying of reeds for injured teammates? You know, in the centre circle.
1: Well, didn't did I mean, it, I, Brazil I, it, did have did have a wreath, didn't they? For Neymar, no, they just have a have jersey, they had just, a, jersey. It a jersey, yeah. yeah. Um,
4: a minute silence for Isla uh, Ibrahimovic's knee injury.
1: Well, it sounds like a bad injury. I mean, Zlatan says, oh, "Look, only I get to decide when I retire." This is his his latest update. You know. Um, but he does consider he will be out he's for a got while.
4: Very veiny legs, hasn't he? Have anyone seen this Instagram post?
1: Very veiny ties, certainly. Oh, it's unbelievable. Um, oh, that's impressive true. vasculature in the ties.
0: We've talked about the old varicose veins issues in the past. No, this in isn't varicose month. now, this is a different thing altogether. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, but but so, having lost Rocco and Zlatan, he's forced uh, Jose Mourinho to, uh, to turn to his squad uh, and he pulls out Anthony Martial, whose goal against. Burnley brought his transfer value up to 80 million euros and Daley Blind he was better than Marcus Rocco uh, because he can play football and as a result of this the team has actually improved due to a couple of cruciate ligament injuries Um, that's the squad that Jose Mourinho has got at Manchester United and I do wonder if it might I mean at the moment okay, City are at home for this game on Thursday night Um you know, won the previous game between the sides and the league but lost in the cup. Um, and it's, yeah, it's difficult to see. And the reason why it's a big game really for both teams or both teams have a good opportunity here is uh, thanks to Sam Allardyce. Oh. Sam Allardyce, uh, who has finally won at Anfield.
0: On what? his 14th attempt?
1: On his 14th attempt, but he, he was going there with the right team. It's Crystal Palace who have won there for the last three seasons. So... um Really, <laughs> I mean that's an incredible record. Palace just are doing this every year now, and this I think is the worst. I think it was Liverpool's worst defeat under Jurgen Klopp. It was, it was every uh, every flaw, every problem with the Liverpool team under Jurgen Klopp to the maximum possible extent at the worst possible moment of the season.
0: I assume Big Sam was slow and reluctant to go into those flaws and how he exploited them, right?
1: Funnily enough, no, Owen. Um, Big Sam actually uh, gave a lot of detail <laughs> uh, when he talked about this game. He gave a lot of detail about what had happened in the game, so let's share, the, let's share those details. From start to finish, we were tactically exceptional. So Big Sam. Uh, why this league is so exciting is that when you set out a game plan... It can turn over the opposition, even when it is not expected by most people. It is why this league is so popular around the world. We did that today. So, obviously, the game plan, that's what people watch the Premier League for. The game plans. Uh,
0: Specifics, Big Sam. I want to hear specifics about your amazing game plan.
1: We did that by not getting... We did that as in we we achieved the thing we've just been talking about. By not getting involved in things that wouldn't allow us to counterattack against the opposition or expose the opposition's weaknesses. I bet by sitting back and not getting involved in the game. <laughs> you know, just waiting, waiting for a mistake. He so said, with our limited possession, we exposed Liverpool's weaknesses. 27% possession. We exposed Liverpool's weaknesses time and time again. Ultimately, that has brought us from 1-0 down to win it. I give the players a huge amount of credit for the way they defended and how they exposed the weaknesses of Liverpool defensively, which in the end they couldn't cope with. Liverpool at home play a superb attacking style, which means both fullbacks will go right up the pitch. It's very similar to Arsenal which means Madep and lover and are very exposed. Because they're very exposed in that position, if you get the right runners in behind, then they're two big men that don't like turning and going back to goal. <laughs> That's exactly where Johan Kabai came in today. The ball over Lovren's head to Kabay left those two centre-backs dead. Then you ask your players to deliver the quality you need in the Premier League. Kabay's ball to Ben was outstanding. On the corners, everyone knows Liverpool are pretty weak. <laughs> they conceded six off corners, which we told the lads about. It's now seven off that corner that has got us the winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Do, do, oh. It's if amazing.
0: You're, Clapper, you're not hating Sam Allaretz. Oh, absolutely. Absolute it's like so like this, guy's, this guy's a shambles of a manager. Look how easy it was for me to... Yeah, pick apart his little his little team. Is it a Liverpool team here, trying their best against? We DB knew they were so.
1: weak. We knew they were weak and corners leave those big, mm. awkward centre halves exposed. You know, 27- very similar to Arsenal.
4: Twenty-seven percent possession. We'll try and get that number below twenty next time we're here. <laughs> but uh...
1: I mean, yeah, it's 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 incredible. But what Klopp said, Klopp said, uh, I told the boys after the game, it's frustrating, disappointing. We made mistakes. We have to feel it today. Uh, there's a reason not only for what happened in the game but how you Uh He says we all need to get more used to it than we are a game like this when it's not the biggest excitement. I could see it in a few faces in the body language. I could hear it a little bit too. So he's he's kind of talking about the fans and players at Liverpool all having this attitude of, oh, you know, here we go, Crystal Palace. And, you know, when you see they've lost, all the defeats they've had in the league have been against the bottom eight teams.
0: Yeah, they don't noticed Crystal Palace's recent results though. They're yeah. everybody off the
1: Two thirds of the goals they've conceded in the league have been against the bottom eight teams. Yeah. So they've got a real attitude problem here and, and also a tactical problem. They have a problem against the team that does what Crystal Palace did, which is to wait, wait and not get involved in the game. You know, they're not going to do what like Dortmund did when they played against Liverpool or, you know, Manchester City would try to do or teams that Liverpool have beaten. Those teams get involved in the game, try to attack. And can then get caught out. Liverpool, you know, once if the game becomes open and end to end, then they're good in that situation. They're hopeless in this situation where they they're up against a team that's just waiting back. They don't know what to do, and they don't play with any intensity either. Like you you watch them, they have the ball, they're passing it about in midfield, but there's no, there there are no real ideas there. There's no sort of right. We're gonna, you know, you can't sit back against us because if you do, we're just going to hammer you. You know that kind of way a really dominant team. Uh, Manchester United would be the usual example in English football over the last twenty years. You go to Old Trafford, you say, "Okay, you know, right lads, two banks of five. Let's let's uh, not give them any space." And you do that, and you're just going to get beaten. They, they will make enough. There will be enough attacks. So the ball going to come into your box enough times that you let in two or three goals. It's a kind of a, it's a losing strategy, and, and against Liverpool, it's a winning strategy. And the thing is, it's been a, it's been clear they've had this problem for a while, but I don't see any. Any um, changes. And
0: that's it for today's report on sport.
1: He agrees with plenty, just it's always who's saying it, it's never what's actually said. 90% of anything is who's saying this, and 10% is what are they actually saying. So the 90% in Giles's case is, oh, it's that to what?
2: John is the best football brain in
1: the world.
4: If I could
2: be
1: that guy of he just thinks I'm an to What? i
4: never let you do. i never let you down.
2: But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this opinion of Guardioli, it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have.
4: Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks. Uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong.
2: The press come and go, as we know, you mentioned Ken Early, well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily
1: agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, what can you, what can you do? You can't know, please everyone.
4: I do like
1: Ken Early's work. I do like Ken Early's work. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with London Ken O'erley says about football.
4: I'm mad, but ain't
2: he writes fluently and thinks
1: cogently. Uh, you mentioned Ken but I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with London Ken O'erley says about football. She thinks I'm annoying twat.
0: Dermot Corrigan is in Madrid. Dermot, an easy one to start with. Luis Enrique said after the match, "Messi is the best player in history." Do you agree?
3: Uh, hi guys, it's, it was hard to argue last night the way he he took the game by or he he grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and, and hit that winner to keep Barca in the in the title race. It really was amazing what what he did in the game because Madrid were were much the better team, really, apart from from Messi Barca. You know, they've been, been struggling recently and a lot of their, their other players didn't really stand up, but Messi was everywhere. You know, Madrid kept at him. Marcelo hit him with a, an elbow earlier on. Casemiro might have been sent off. Ramos was then sent off for a big two-footed tackle, but Messi came good at the end. And yeah, it was, it was hard to argue what Luis Enrique said.
1: Do you really think they were the better team? I mean, I, I didn't see that. As you mentioned, they should have had three players sent off instead of the one that they had. They made a total mess of the... Of the end of the match, when really they, you know, they had two minutes of injury time, uh, and they couldn't defend the two minutes of injury time.
3: They, they definitely should have defended better at the end. But I, I thought over the ninety minutes, like they had fourteen shots on target. A uh, Ter Stegen made twelve saves, the most saves of any um, any player in the classical for for a decade, and the most saves of any player in La Liga so far this season. And Zidane was really. Tough on his own players after the game. You know, he 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 didn't go go at them for for not being able to defend at the end. He went at them for missing chances, which he, he didn't mention Ronaldo's name or any of the the players by name. But he felt that they should have scored a good few goals, a good few more goals, and they had bars on the ropes for for plenty of the game. I thought. Uh,
1: well, why didn't they win in that in, in that case?
3: Because they they missed chances. Ronaldo had the the chance that Asensio set up for him that he, he hoofed over the bar. Uh, Benzema had a header from from really close range. That Ter Stegen saved really well, and it's a, it's a kind of a recurring thing with Madrid that they've missing chances. They they gave away a, a last minute equaliser to, to Atletico as well a couple of weeks ago, and they should be out of sight if they'd have scored all their goals or, or scored all the chances that they made so far this season.
0: I want to talk more about Messi. We've moved on too quickly. <laughs> uh, the the celebration first of all. We've been talking a bit about this, Dermot. The it was obviously a lot more demonstrative than Leo Messi usually is. Although we saw a flash of that after the winning goal by Sergio Roberto a few weeks back against Paris Saint-Germain. He was very much in amongst the fans that day. But this is on enemy turf. And it was actually quite provocative (laughs) lifting his shirt up. The uh, the Sky Sports are showing off all their fancy camera angles. And there was an amazing bird's eye view, which just really, watching it, it sort of hit home where he was and who he was holding the shirt up to um, i'm kind of surprised maybe the the real fans kept their composure
3: yeah it was it was pretty big from from Messi to do it there's a thing about him that he, as the years have gone past and especially maybe in recent months he has shown shown more of that kind of aggression on the pitch and more of a of his personality He's, scored a a last minute penalty against Leganes recently at the camp now and made a big deal about not celebrating that day with a kind of angry look on his face and I think he was just really really pissed off with, with how Madrid had treated him with how he'd been kicked around during the game and how Maybe he needed to to come up with the goods again because the rest of his team weren't weren't at it. But he is, you know, he's he didn't come out and talk after the game, or he didn't talk to to the media. He doesn't do interviews or anything. But he definitely is is not afraid of it. He's not afraid to to stand up to the players and to stand up to to the fans as well.
0: No, he's not. And that's maybe something that hasn't been commented on as much over the years as a lot of his other traits. To get up from getting bashed in the face. You'd expect him to get up and get on with it. But to get up and to score key goals, he scored not too long after, when he essentially had a bandage stuffed in his gob when he scored his yeah. first goal. <laughs> and he scores that second goal after Ramos tries to do him, or at least uh, puts in a, a f- pretty filthy lunge. Obviously, he's going to get up, he's a professional player, and, and play on. But he does seem to have this toughness where I think it actually maybe makes him a little bit angry when players do that and makes him play better.
3: Yeah, I think it's actually something that maybe in some games... And even some of the games that Barca have lost recently, like at PSG, especially that if he can't get into the game really, or if he doesn't feel he doesn't get that that kind of buzz going, that it's harder for him to be an influence on the game. But if the other team are are at him and are kicking him, or if the uh, the fans are on his back, or it's a, it's an away game, especially at the Bernabeu, he's he's come up with similar performances in the past as well. That he's a he's a he's a tough little guy. Like it's hard to know what's going on in his head because. You know he doesn't really talk to anybody, and I don't know if even some of his his closest teammates really know what's going on inside his head. But there's definitely that kind of inner drive there, and he's when he's angry, he's he's even more dangerous.
1: Jordi Alba at least knew what was going on in his head. I can't, I I couldn't see uh, whether they made eye contact in the build up to the goal, but it was clear that Jordi Alba he knew exactly what he was going to do when he ran onto the ball and cut it back to the edge of the box. And then, you know, you, that was the moment when everyone saw Messi just striding onto this ball. And <laughs> you kind of knew that, okay, this is, the, this is the right player to be arriving onto this ball in this situation. Um, but, I mean, watching a build-up was quite interesting because, you know, Real Madrid just don't seem to be aware of Messi's presence on the pitch at all. And I thought this was, you know, you're kind of looking at this guy, hey, this guy, how does he keep arriving? You know, what is the secret of this timing that he has to arrive onto these balls. I mean, the first goal that he scored was kind of a similar situation in a way, although he he sort of did more on the ball. But it's that kind of gift of uh, being in the right place at the right time. But watching the replay, I mean, what he does is really so simple. I mean, he waits, he kind of follows the ball or or he, he stays level with the ball. And then he kind of waits for the Madrid defenders to sort of overrun themselves and to get too deep. And that's when he kind of turns inward uh, turns left a little bit to kind of arrive in this space at the end what i wonder is why doesn't why don't people try to man mark messi i mean what happens when they try to do that we saw Mourinho do it very effectively against hazard um recently it seems like a kind of obvious thing to do with a player who scores so many goals so why don't what happens when people do do that
3: yeah i i guess that's what psg did as well that the teams who have who have bottled barca up or have bottled messi up have been guys who've put a, just a load of players in that around the d there and just Left their holding midfielder to to stand there, or have one guy follow Messi and another guy who just blocks up that space because he he does arrive there and score so many goals. It was it was almost it was just weird watching the the replays of the goals as you say there because he doesn't he doesn't even move towards the ball as as it's cut back from Alba. He just kind of waits and time seems to he doesn't seem to rush her. it's almost as if time is, is stopping for him and he just calmly puts it in as you know Modric has gone flying past him as Marcelo has gone flying past him everybody else is is tearing around but he just seems to I don't know he has that that sixth sense or that instinct or whatever it is that that makes him so dangerous but he you know I, it was the, the composure that he showed as he put the ball away was almost the most impressive thing about it that he didn't quack at the ball or he didn't overrun it or he didn't do anything else he just kind of calmly placed it in the corner and then then went off with the crazy celebration.
0: Speaking of tearing around, twenty-two red cards now for a Sergio Ramos. Dermot, does that rank in your top five?
3: Yeah, it was it was pretty funny from Ramos, all right. And there was no real need for it as well because Madrid were were doing pretty well in the game at that stage. I, I you know inside the stadium, I felt that they were probably going to going to win the game. And Messi was he was dangerous, of course, but he was in his own half, and he wasn't it wasn't like there was a, a clear goal on or whatever. And then Ramos, you know says it wasn't a wasn't a foul gets into a bit of a row with Piqué before he goes off and comes out in the the mix zone afterwards and says he's seen it 40 times and it was definitely only a yellow like ramos he, he comes up that's what you get with ramos he has these the last minute winners or he, he gets his head on the end of things and, and wins trophies for madrid but also he loses his head completely sometimes and you know i think it's five different classicos he's got sent off in often for four fouls on messi and even when he was on the pitch you know, you said about Messi ghosting into space for the first goal. None of the Madrid centre-backs were there when when Messi picked up the ball on the edge of the box. That that should have been Ramos's job as well. And you you have to you have to take the good with the bad with Ramos, I guess. And and that's what you get.
1: Does he ever get criticised for uh, this type of incredibly stupid behaviour in huge matches? I mean, does does, is, does anything ever happen to discourage him from doing it again? Because it didn't seem like that ever happens.
3: Not really. Um. Yeah. Like. A lot of the, the commentary after the game, or when he came out and spoke, he spoke to the Spanish radio guys, and they were asking him about the the PK stuff, and they were asking him whether the the league title race was on as well, whether he thought it was a red card. But the, nobody said to him, you know, what are you what are you doing, or what what are you thinking about? It was pretty funny. There was a what well, what's a what's, the, try,
1: what's really sorry sorry sorry. sorry, sorry you're saying, yeah. tell, me, tell us the story, and I'll make my point. No,
3: just there was a Good start in the in Aça, I think a couple of a couple of months ago about how Madrid had conceded twice as many goals with Ramos in the team as so without him going back over the games this so far this season, which is a bit unfair as it included some of the Copa del Rey games and the easier games that he'd missed. But he, he saw it and he came out and he, he was um he had a go at some of the journalists in the in the mix on denying kind of the, the reality of the stat that had come out and saying that it wasn't true. And he is he's somebody who who looks after his own image pretty well. He'd know that the reporter is pretty well and he doesn't take he doesn't take personal criticism well at all, and, and people kind of go easy on him because of that, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, what what amazed me about that foul was how reckless it was. I mean, the, the risk that he was taking there. I mean, if he was the man who who broke Lionel Messi's leg with a lunge like that, that's a way to go down in history, you know? People, uh, And I think that, that the criticism he would get following that might, might penetrate his little bubble that he's created um, in which, you know... Uh, he doesn't actually commit these type of red-card offences.
3: Uh, Pepe has been at Madrid for I know it, almost a decade or so now, I think. And the thing he's most loved for, most remembered for amongst the, the hardcore Madrid fans is when he stepped on Messi's hand in one of the the Clásicos at the Bernabeu when Mourinho was in charge. I think maybe maybe outside of Madrid and outside of Spain that that would be, go down as a bad thing. Well, I guess breaking somebody's leg is not is, is never a good thing, but I don't think that was going through Ramos's head when when he threw, in, threw himself into the tackle.
0: German, how does Ramos play with PK for the Spanish national team?
3: <laughs> I I think they I think they they get on pretty well. There's a bit there's an element of of doing it for the for the cameras or just doing it for for the the fun. I think of how they they go back and forward in the media all the time. They're really similar characters. Like the beneath it all, they they've so much in common that um, with their personalities, the, the way they like the spotlight. They have you know very famous girlfriends as well. They they're big on Twitter and they. They see themselves as kind of um, spokespersons for for each club. There is a little bit of, of friction between them, but they play pretty well together as the players. They complement each other, and I think sometimes they, you know, they, they slack each other off and stuff in the media. But when they get together, they probably have a bit of a laugh at, at our expense as well.
1: Um, I just wanted to ask uh, Dermot about Bale because this is, I mean, what we know about Real Madrid is okay. They could they could win the Champions League. They could win La Liga this year. But this is a kind of defeat that will make them that will make their president uh, think about, you know, who he doesn't like it, whose face doesn't fit anymore. And obviously Zidane is, you know, as the coach, is the is the one most likely to be changed. But uh, what's he thinking about Gareth Bale these days? Because, um, I mean, obviously the, the match again was a non-event for Bale. I'm a bit surprised to see that he seems to be uh, getting a lot of flack, even though he didn't play most of the match. Uh, is there a sense there that maybe... Uh, Garrett Bale, the shine has gone off him a little bit, and they might be uh, of the sort of Galacticos they've got there that he might be the, the vulnerable one.
3: It's it's a hard one to tell what's going on with, with Florentino, but Florentino still seems to to back him to the hilt, and it depends. You know, you, you can tell a little bit by looking at which which riders are are criticizing him and which riders are backing him, how the how the wind is going, and it, it seemed that Sedan got got more more flak this morning for for picking and bail rather than than bail got for you know for for being injured and not being able to do it but it is it's 17 different injuries according to us this morning and he has a big problem with his his calf muscle in his his left leg like he's had injuries which were supposed to be due to to a problem with his back and that was what was causing the calf muscle but he definitely has a problem and it is something that somebody will have to look at on Zidane picking him I don't know if it if it's because of Zidane's past himself as a as a former Galactico player, but he said a few times that he he feels sorry for Bale, that Bale works really hard and deserves to be in the team. And Zidane kind of goes, okay, well, he's the best player. He still is among Madrid's top 11 talented players. And Zidane kind of goes, okay, it's a a big game. He's the best player. I'm going to put him in. It definitely backfired last night, (coughs) excuse me, because... Bale was at nothing during the game and Asensio was really good when, when he came on the youngster but I, I think I don't think Madrid are going to sell Bale in the summer that that would be a, a bit too far for Florentino to go I think
0: Very quick answer Dermot who's going to win the league from here?
3: Uh, Madrid will win it on the last day because they go to, to Malaga
0: Alright sounds good thanks for talking
3: Ok cheers lots. Do
0: you go with Dermot on that interpretation of Ramos the Ramos and Pique relationship that actually they're, they're basically just playing this one for the galleries and boosting their social media presences in the process
1: um, well I think it's it's there's probably a bit of pantomime involved in it, but you could see there was real anger from Ramos last night, although I guess, you know, his entire brain had just was in a kind of a meltdown. Um you know, and he, but you could see his in his attitude towards PK. He was blaming Piquet for it. He was he seemed to be saying this is because of you and all the moaning that you do that I'm being sent off by this referee and it's all thanks to you. And PK kind of afterwards is saying, Well, I mean, obviously it was a really stupid challenge and you're gonna get sent off if you do that type of challenge, and that's the problem with Real Madrid. The referee does a good job here and suddenly he's the bad guy. So <laughs> yeah. so but so you could see there was there is definitely some real dislike and rivalry, but I guess when they're playing for the same team, it's a different situation. You know, I mean they they see themselves as like the like I guess they're the kind of spokesman for their for their teams, you know, the iconic players, yeah, the franchise is, player. Ramos definitely thinks he's a franchise player, even though he's not.
0: And this is the central dynamic of what has worked for Spain over the last 15 years or so, that they've managed to get these sort of these sort of characters to gel within the Spanish national team, mm. even if they straight up don't like each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they even really... I, I suppose that, you know... Ramos is, is kind of one of those guys who I think is always, is only happy if he's kind of the top dog in any given situation. He can't, ha- he can't take it not to be like that. So I guess PK, who strikes me as, as considerably more intelligent, just lets that, to, lets that, lets Ramos think that that's what's going on. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. We'll we'll do it your way, Sir seeing this there's clearly no other way that you're capable of doing it. You know, and that's how they work it.
0: Miguel Delaney, Chelsea beat Spurs four goals, by four goals or two at the weekend. They lead Spurs by four points in the league. And yet, my good friend and colleague Ken here thinks that Spurs are the better team nevertheless. Do you agree with
2: him? I still kind of don't know, even after Saturday. I do think Spurs almost pushed themselves to the limit where there was almost this kind of insulting quality to Chelsea's goals where they basically... The Spurs basically extended themselves, and Chelsea just kind of realize, well, we can bring on two of our biggest stars off the bench and then do this. It almost reflected the fact that Chelsea are a team with more stars closer to their prime. But Spurs is still kind of almost a higher functioning unit, given the players they have, given the youth of the players. And I think they have a lot to grow. It, 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 it is still a, a disappointment for Pochettino and Spurs. They, they have still come up against this ceiling.
1: Yeah, I mean, is it a seeding, though? Is it just a question of really not getting the look on the day? I mean, if you were to, you, you talk about they need uh, to grow further in different ways. But I mean, if you're looking at that game last night, where were the weak points? Not last night and Saturday. Where were the weak points in that performance? What did they do wrong on the day?
2: Well, the, the one thing I would say about Spurs, I think they're excellent. and They do they, they have a lot to grow. But the one thing about Spurs in those games that, that stands out is that. The reason they're on this run in the Premier League is basically they completely overwhelm a lot of lesser teams. But in, in these games where they can't find the goal, and, and it happened on Saturday as well, essentially once they got the second goal, and the second goal came from like a ludicrously brilliant Ericsson Cross. It was Beckham level, so they had to produce something of like that quality. But after that, they were dominating the game. But if you actually look at the chances they created, there weren't that many. And it's, it's the one thing about sport, as as, ver- as excellent as they are, and as much as they dominate games and kind of dominate other teams, when it comes down to games like that, what you often see is basically, it's very kind of side to side. Suddenly, so like, I mean, they're building these attacks, and the ball is into the wing, it's crossed in, there's a, there's a header at the first post from the defender, goes away, goes back around, cross again, and that is the one thing with them. I think they, they almost need a slight more kind of... I mean, if they're developed any way beyond the kind of I suppose, the, the age and the uh, the maturity of the players, it would be that they need a little bit more nuance on attack. I think usually... They rely on Kane in those situations because what you often see with Spurs is they're they're kind of whipping the ball into the box and Kane makes a difference because he can sort of make a run out of nowhere or as we saw on Saturday, he can reach a header like that. But they are still... I'm not going to say they're kind of one-dimensional attack, but they, they, they need a little bit more variation in what they do. I think they're still a little too reliant on trying to physically overwhelm teams and that came across on Saturday. Whereas Chelsea, even though I think they were second best on Saturday, Chelsea, they just had that... I suppose more more nuanced to their uh, to their creati- creativity.
1: Do you think that they are in danger of losing players? Tottenham, if they don't win, if they don't actually win something, because I mean, you know, we were making the argument that, or I was making the argument, they have been the best team in the uh, in the league for two seasons. They're not they're not going to win anything. It looks as though Chelsea are probably going to win the league. Um, you know, they they're they're not going to win any trophies this season. Then, just like last season's on them. Do you get to a point where if you don't win trophies, you you do start to lose players, even ones who seem to be happy uh, there, because, you know, frankly, other managers are going to come to these players and say, look, you can stay at Tottenham, but, you know, don't expect to win anything there. Well, it's
2: already happened. I mean, I, know, I, know, I, know, I do know, like, I mean, Harry Kane has had it said to him, like, if you stay at Tottenham, from from, from other, you know, representatives of other clubs, if you stay at Tottenham, you won't win anything. Uh, but I think, actually, it's one of the other successful things that Pochettino has done, that he's actually kind of inverted uh, Tottenham's history in that way, because, I mean, the amount of players that are signing new contracts there, even Alder Wyrald um, have, have been pretty good at the heart that he will eventually sign a new contract. And it's 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 almost flipped. I mean, for the, for the last decade beyond, a lot of Tottenham was basically been about keeping the players, the managers want to keep the players the club, whereas now the players want to keep the manager at the club. But I think he has created that bond. I mean, like Kane will stay, Ali will stay. That 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 group, well, for at least another year, they'll be together. Um, so I can't see that being an issue just yet. If it were to go on, I think another season or two where they're always going to just, you know, they they play to a certain level and no more, then frustration could sink in. But it, um, at the, at the moment, like I can't see that being an issue. And even it was the interesting thing with Saturday. I mean, you would have thought that Pochettino's players were actually really despondent about the game, but but they weren't. Um they were actually in a kind of strange way. They they kept pushing this line, and I actually, and as, as much of a line as it was, given the men they the it, I think it was genuinely believed that they they took heart from the fact that they well, they kind of went well, we're as good as Chelsea. Okay, we haven't won today, but we, we, we're we're as good a team. We, we have hope here. Whereas you contrast that to yesterday, I was at the City Arsenal game, and Guardiola was very much pushing pushing the line about how well, we will be better next season. But they didn't seem the same. Uh, conviction in the way he said it, in the way the Tottenham uh, players or managers said it.
0: Because just the last one, there was a good bit of focus on the TV coverage about the, this Wembley psychological issue that Spurs, well maybe not even psychological, just from a footballing point of view. The pitch doesn't seem to suit them, it's, it's certainly different dimensions to what they're used to and they're going to be playing on it most likely next season. Is this actually an issue and if so is it a fairly easy one for them to solve?
2: Well actually I was at the PFA's last night and talking to someone close to Tottenham, and they reckon that it took Spurs about 10 minutes to get used to the size of the pitch. And if, and if you look at the way Pedro was caught for the... Uh, or sorry, Pedro caught out, uh, out of the virals for the first, for the first uh, goal of the game, for that free kick. They reckon that that was Spurs still adjusting to the size, of the pitch because of the fact it was five metres longer uh, or wider. Uh, I don't know the dimensions to hand, but because it was that much bigger... That the Spurs defense was still adjusting to their line, and they they were on it, and it took it took them a little while to get to get used to it. So, so I suppose if they, if they do move, that's something that will, um, you know, just just by playing on every week, they 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 will get used to. It. Uh, also, it was actually brought to me as well that they, they they reckon that the fact that Spurs come out onto the pitch and see loads of red seats is uh, is also an issue in that sense because it it doesn't. And there could be a psychological issue there. It doesn't feel like home oh, because you know they come out they come out to White Hart Lane. It's obviously White Hart Lane. Whereas they go to Wembley and then see you know predominantly the colours of the of one of their rival clubs. I mean that's a very small thing, but I suppose it it feeds into the like the the atmosphere and a of an occasion. The uh and um, the, the, the kind of player players motivate themselves. or kind of or build up a momentum on a day and. I mean, I I wouldn't say it's a significant thing, but it it is one of those potentially small factors that he's looking at.
0: Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that one. Miguel Britton stuff, thanks for me.
2: Copy, Mons. He's just a crying big baby, but you cannot call it a player a baby. What? Is the game you wanted a victory boy? Didn't have a weapon. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted a victory boy? Didn't have a weapon. while well, it's just a uh, nervous night. You look frustrated on the pitch. Which is, is the game you wanted a victory boy? Didn't have a weapon. You wanted victory. Well, I wanted victory. Which is the game you wanted a victory boy? Didn't have a weapon. Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
1: Won against them in the Premier season, and we never said they're baby. He's just a crying big baby,
3: and you cannot call a player a baby.
0: You buying into that theory about the, the red seats being what is no. off putting for Spurs? No, not the no, seats.
1: Not the the, it's
0: the pitch the size of the pitch. The pitch size. I mean
1: the
4: the quality of the grass was mentioned. Yeah, uh, and, well, it's not so much the quality uh, or lack of quality. It's more just the the actual species of grass being used in Wembley is a lot softer and, and stickier. Yeah, um, and the grass is longer. I mean,
0: it, <laughs> do Tottenham not play on different patches of grass each week, though? Because they're the not be used to maybe adapting their games. The, the, like the
1: Wembley, um, the Wembley pitch is exactly the same size, 105 metres by 68 metres, as 10 of the Premier League grounds. The Premier League issued the... Um, you know, edicts a couple of seasons ago saying, okay, we want to standardize totally the size of the pitches. Premier League pitches should be 105 meters by 68 meters. Everybody who has a stadium who could accommodate a pitch that size needs to please do that now. Thanks. And so 10 of the teams did. And then there's 10 teams who don't have stadiums that allow that. One of whom is Tottenham, whose stadium is a little bit shorter. And I guess their new one will be 105 by 68, but the current one is 100 meters by 67. So the difference in width is only one meter, which, you know, I guess isn't that huge, but five meters in length. Yeah, okay, it's a you know nearly five percent difference. That's you can see that making a difference in the details. Um, I still think it's kind of overblown. But come on, Spurs, that, Jesus yeah. Christ, come on! They're they're just finding finding reasons to freak out about things, or you know, it's it's a lot of nonsense. Like I mean, Tottenham play well on pitches that size all the time in the Premier League so I don't see any reason why Wembley would be different
0: well, we better wrap things up we have got another podcast to record today which is going to feature Champions Cup elimination for Munster and Leinster the Galway Hurlers on top of the world I see Cyril Farrell saying that they're going to romp to the All-Ireland title so mm. we'll talk a little bit about that oh yeah and it turns out we were right about Ili Nastasi, bit of a dickhead <laughs> <laughs> thanks Ken. thanks Murph thanks Alan thanks Thanks, cool. thanks,
4: thanks, thanks Kent.
3: It's the second time
1: it's done. They Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.